bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pod. Uber driving past Wall Street's expectations this quarter. CEO Dara Khosrowshahi with How It Happened. Consumer spend has been strong and has been especially strong in the services sector. Consumers are buying less stuff, but they are going out to events, they're going out to restaurants, etc. And it showed in our numbers. And a strike in Hollywood. Writers pushing for a fair deal from studios and TV shows stalled in the crossfire. Semaphore's Ben Smith joins us. It is incredibly bitter and divisive, and that's, that's how they do it. seven or eight times over 100 years, though. You think that's a lot or a little? It seems like a lot. Those stories today, plus the Treasury Secretary warns the U.S. could default on its debt as soon as June 1st. We've only got 30 days, so let's wait eight days and then we can all get together? Like, hello? <laughs> and the bots, the bots are coming for us. It's not like in the future, it's like now. It's like actually, not even now, it's like a year ago. It's Tuesday, May 2nd, 2023. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand Becky by in three, two, one, cue it please. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We are live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Let's talk about the warning, big warning from Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen coming just yesterday. She said the U.S. may run out of measures to pay its debt obligations by June 1st. It's a lot earlier than the government and Wall Street had been expecting. A letter to House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. Secretary Yellen saying the department moved up its estimate because of weaker than anticipated tax receipts. We just talked about yesterday, Goldman Sachs' latest estimate of that deadline had been late July, giving them an extra two months. The race is on 30 days as of today. Yesterday, President Biden calling the big four congressional leaders to a meeting at the White House on May 9th. One factor that could complicate a deal, congressional calendars show there are only eight legislative days this month when both the House and Senate will actually be in session at the same time. If you believe the calendar, if you believe the numbers... 30 days, maybe eight days, but 30 days. That's really what we're talking about. Still claiming that this is not, this negotiation that's coming up is not tied to the debt. I don't know. Um, right. But it like, it, it, at least it, it looks like something's happening. Yeah, except here's what I don't get. We've only got 30 days, so let's wait eight days and then we can all get together. Like, well, hello. Yeah. <laughs> Things move slowly. What, what gets me is when you hear about, like, people that are in trouble and there's a trial and it's like, what is it, May? And it's like... And the trial is set for, like, February. Of I mean, there's a backlog of everything. These guys have no excuse, though. They only got eight days. See? Is there a better day than today? No. But they'll be talking to each other between now and Well, now. good. Good. Oh, finally. That's good. They had 80 days where they haven't really talked to each other. And then there are shares of online education company Chegg, which are plunging. The company's forecast for the current quarter came in weaker than expected. The company cited an unexpected revenue decline as students begin to use chat GPD, G, begin to use chat GPT, so they don't need Chegg as much. Chegg makes most of its money from subscriptions. It says revenue is in danger if students see AI chatbots as an alternative to paying, and that stock is off by 44%. Meantime, uh, IBM CEO Arvind uh, Krishna stating the company expects to pause hiring for the roles that it thinks could be replaced by AI in the coming years. In an interview, Krishna is saying that the company will suspend or slow hiring and back office functions, including human resources. He estimated 7,800 jobs could be lost, although a spokesman clarified that didn't mean layoffs, but meant that the company wouldn't replace those roles vacated by attrition. Happen but I fast, think that's going to happen super fast. I think it's going to happen in the next 
12 months. I mean, I don't think that, by the way, if you played with it enough, I, it was, you would know that I think we're probably three to four months away from it even being materially better. And then probably, I assume, that's what I say, 12, 12 to 18, 12, 18 months, clearly. Clearly, there are roles that d d don't need to exist, unfortunately. Here, here, here's my other question. I've, I've played with it a little bit, but it, it's very clear that you can have it write an essay for you if you're a college student. 100%. Can you have it do engineering stuff for you, or is that going to be more complicated? You, no, you can ask it math problems. You can ask well, it. Like a calculator, though, too. I'm just trying to figure out if engineering no, but like students you can, can cheat. You cheat can give it word it. problems, can and it, it will give you the answer. Can it write an episode of The Diplomat? <laughs> Are the Hollywood writers, is this, is this their last chance? They're gonna well, I think one of the big issues, actually. They ought to be careful. Be, is going to be, no, no, but I think that's part of, part of the, the whole strike, which is to say that in, in a writer's room for a TV show that might, you know, historically have seven, eight, nine people, Maybe in the future you'd have four. Exactly. Which is right? part of the reason they're asking, the reason that for, they're asking uh, for more money. Well, they're not just asking for more money. They, part of the sticking point is they are asking for a, a, a guaranteed number of writers in the room for a certain amount right. of time. I, I think maybe everybody maybe sh should be worried. I don't know about something like that. That seems difficult. Late night, I was kidding about uh, the late night comedy. That's, I don't know whether that is, can be done by chat GPT to be really skilled at, at something really good. But... I don't even want to think about it, but a lot of times when we're just talking about earnings and it's a oh, four, done. It's a four right now. line yeah, thing, the, a company reported this, yeah. better already, already than this, done. worse than this, revenue also, the forecast was this. Already being done, Joe. Already being done. It's already in the, it's, it's not like in the future, it's like now. It's like actually, not even now, it's like a year ago. We're not Two using it yet. Our people aren't using it yet here. They could probably. No, but they could. Yeah. It's all coming. Up next on Squawk Pod, Uber CEO Dara Khosver Shahi moonlighted a few shifts as a rideshare driver. He joins us from Uber's New York HQ to weigh in on tipping, rider ratings, and the competition. I think that if Lyft makes moves to be competitive with us from a pricing standpoint, that sets us up for constructive competition going forward. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Up and Andrew, Q. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin along with Becky Quick and Joe Kernan. Uh, I'm uh, down at Uber's headquarters. Uber reporting first quarter results just this morning. The stock up, by the way, over 8% on the back of this news. The company reported a loss of $0.08, cents, but it's better than the $0.09 cent, uh, loss that analysts had been expecting. Revenue coming in big time ahead of expectations, $8.82 billion. That's up 29% year over year. And joining us right now, First on CNBC is Uber CEO, Dara Khosrowshahi. It's always very good to see you. Great to see you. Get a sense of what's going on with your business and also a sense of what's going on with the consumer at a time when I think there's a lot of questions about the consumer. So let's, let's sort of walk through it. Uh, as I just said, the numbers, I think, a lot better than uh, had been expected, up 8% uh, in terms of where your stock mm -hmm. is now, just on the back of this news. Uh, what are you seeing? What, where, where did you see the strength in, and do you think it's going to hold up? Well, I think the, the good news for us is we are seeing strength across the board, Andrew. And remember, the consumer, while there are worries about the consumer, consumer spend has been strong and has been especially strong in the services sector. Right? Consumers are buying less stuff, and right. you see it in the numbers, but they are going out uh, to events, they're going out to restaurants, et cetera, and it showed in our numbers. Our gross bookings were up 22% on a constant currency basis. Our trip growth accelerated versus Q4. Q4 growth was 19%. 
Ours accelerated to 24%. You don't see right. that many large companies accelerating, actually, in terms of growth. So that's on the mobility side. That means that people are actually getting into well, that's the that's the total cars. side. That's right. both mobility and delivery combined. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. The delivery piece is, st- is still strong. Yes. It's still up. But it's not up the way it was in the pandemic. And there was a period of time where people thought, my God, this thing could go to the moon. Yes. Well, I think that if you look at parts of the business that benefited from the pandemic, delivery actually has been one of the, mo- one of the most sticky, right? A bunch of those businesses were down year over year. But if you look at our delivery business, we were up 12% on a constant currency right. basis. The business accelerated as a quarter right along. So we think gross bookings will be even more robust going forward. Our delivery business is churning out profits effectively, and we gained category position in nine out of our 10 markets. You just said it's churning out profitability? Is, uh, profitable yeah, yeah, actually, um, it's $240 million plus in terms of EBITDA profits. Incremental EBITDA for every dollar of gross bookings we add of 20% less last quarter, over 20%, which is right. well above what we committed to investors. In terms of being gap profitable this year, it's happening. It's happening. When should we uh, look at our, our watch? Well, it's going to happen sometime this year. And okay. remember, remember, Andrew, we committed to be EBITDA profitable two years ago. We hit it ahead of schedule. We committed to be free cash flow profitable. We hit that ahead of schedule. We had $549 million of free cash flow in this quarter, and we're committing to be gap operating right. profitable this year. You put out a three-year plan. I don't know how long ago now, but you are way ahead of it. I think everybody would say that. When do you update the plan? and well, therefore upgrade the plan. I think we're halfway through the plan at this point. And we had a target, through, yeah, we had a target of $5 billion in EBITDA, and we're well on track to exceed that, I think. Uh, but we're halfway there. Give us a couple more quarters, and then we'll decide as to whether we put another long-range right. plan in place. In terms of the consumer and the strength of the consumer, are you seeing anything in regard to people who might have uh, you know, used the, the, the black service and they're downgrading to, to X or something like that. Is that happening? We're not seeing that at all. Actually, we're seeing the opposite based on some of the innovations that we're bringing out there. So for example, we built a new reserve product. The driver shows up, uh, we'll wait for you up front, et cetera. This is old school. This is this like what used, people used to do before they went to the airport. They'd say, I need a car. I need it to show up at 7 a.m. in the morning. And exactly, now it shows up. Exactly. It shows up and you've got some time. And what we're seeing is 20% of our airport drop-offs are now reserved. And this is a product that we that didn't exist, you know, 24 months ago. Right. So for a new product, that's pretty extraordinary for 20% of airport drop-offs being this new product. So the innovation as we build products that connect riders to drivers more effectively, driver makes right. more money, the rider has uh, reliability, and so everyone right. wins. You just mentioned the airport. That was a big uh, growth driver for you. People just go into the airport. Yes. This was sort of in a post-pandemic universe. What's that look like now? Uh, continues to grow. Travel is one of our fastest uh, categories. It is not slowing down at all. And I think if you heard from the airlines, they were pretty optimistic on a forward basis in terms of travel. And we're seeing the same in our business. Travel, workday, and commute. People are actually getting back to work. They're going back to offices, not all of them. But all of those were strengths within our portfolio. Let me ask you about your biggest competitor, Lyft. Has a new CEO. Says that they're going to try to effectively uh, make their prices identical to yours. Uh, that means that they might have to bring them down, it sounds like, at least in some cities, though I'll tell you as a New Yorker, sometimes I think Uber is higher than they are. What does this do to the business? Clearly, they want to be more competitive than they are. Well, I think that sets us up for constructive uh, competition, right? So 
what, you, what we want to compete on is quality of service, reliability, um, who has the best drivers and the most drivers on the platform, et cetera, brand. And I think that if Lyft makes moves to be competitive with us from a pricing standpoint, that sets us up for constructive right. competition going forward. Can they, by the way? I mean, they're smaller than you. It'll cost them more. Well, I they, mean, there's a prisoner's dilemma, a little situation here in terms of in terms of trying to get those prices to, to match. There is. Like, we've got scale advantages in that we build a feature like Reserve, and we're rolling it out all over the world, right? right? So we've got scale advantages in terms of being global, and we've got scale advantages in terms of being multi-business. A bunch okay. of the features that we build, we build for both our mobility business and delivery business, so we've got structural advantages right. versus our smaller players. I can't speak for Lyft, but what often happens is that either their margins are lower, the cost of capital is higher, or we gain share, right. and we have been gaining category share both in mobility and delivery right. while uh, delivering outsized margin growth. Okay, we've talked about the good side yeah. of uh, the story. The freight side is more complicated, to put it politely. What's yes. happening there? Well, what's happening is uh, the opposite of what I talked about, that as more money goes towards services, People are buying less in retail. Freight essentially ships retail. So we are seeing prices come down from the historically elevated levels that we saw two right. years ago. It looks like those prices might be settling out. But so you we thought expect, that was going to be a growth story for you. Yeah, the listen, the, the cycle that we have seen in fulfillment and shipping rates are hiding the fundamental uh, advantages that a digital platform like Freight has. We're patient, right. and as you can see, our profits and free cash flow continue to increase, so we can afford to invest selectively in a disciplined way in some of our newer products, whether it's grocery or advertising or reserve or a membership program or freight. Right. Uh, separately, we want to try to better understand what's going to happen to some of your investments, and I'm thinking about Didi specifically mm -hmm. in China. When do you try to monetize or realize that situation? Well, we've got to wait until DD lists essentially in Hong Kong. Um, we don't know when that's going to happen. It's not going to happen this year. It'll happen sometime next year. And I think the good news for us is that we've been uh, selectively monetizing our stakes. We monetized our stake in our Yandex joint venture in Russia, right. made multiples of our investment there. So I think that ourselves, Nelson, our CFO, have demonstrated the ability to be very strong allocators of capital. Um, we keep talking about AI all morning. Uh, lots of folks, IBM, saying they're going to need less people. Are you going to need less people? And, and both on the, on the front end, in terms of the consumer experience, am I going to say, am I going to type in what I want? And there's going to be a chat bot, sort of what Expedia, by the way, yes. your former company is trying to do. And how, or on the other side of it, in terms of the number of engineers and programmers that you need to build things in the app or other parts of your service. I think that companies can make a choice. They can either use less people to do the same amount of work, or they can keep the same amount of people to do more work. And our focus at this point is on the latter. It's how do we use deep models to make sure that the ETAs that we offer you are accurate? How do we use models that train across our global data set, not a New York data set, not a Boston data set, but a global data set, in order to match more effectively, right. price more effectively? And then, like you said, there's some great products that you can build you know, I'm looking for uh, first-rate Mexican for two people under 50 bucks 
that can deliver within 45 minutes. Those kinds of queries become much, much more easy in an AI-enabled world. But does that mean that long term, when you just look at your you know, number of people that you have as employees, not contracted drivers, yes. I know there's a debate about that, but what does that look like to you? Well, our Is that intention, a steady state? Does it go down over time? Do you- we've, we've said that we anticipate headcount to be flatter down for this year, and I think that'll stretch into next year, even as the right. business is growing 20 plus percent. Long term, I think it's too soon to tell because right. we're just starting to understand the capabilities of AI. Right. Uh, and I think we're a long way from understanding its right. potential. Um, you're also playing with some new uh, pricing models. Yes. Which I experienced this weekend where you're, if you're waiting for a car, they can't find a car, they then ask you, do you want to pri- be prioritized? Do you want to pay for the privilege of being prioritized? Have you gotten any feedback besides from me uh, about <laughs> this yet? We're just experimenting with this. And the idea here is, remember, we have offered drivers upfront destination right. so that they know exactly where they're going and what the price of that trip is. There are certain circumstances where in the marketplace, the pricing may be variable and we may not get that price right. right. In those cases, we allow the rider to essentially right. adjust the price so that, that, so that you can find that driver. Um, you, there was a big article in the Wall Street Journal about your experience being a driver yourself. Yes. What was the biggest lesson of that? The biggest lesson for me was, one, it's hard. And uh, that just dealing with understanding how the app works um, determining, choosing what trips right. to take, what trips not to take, et cetera. You know, it's, it's actually, it's amazing how sophisticated you have to be to optimize right. your own earnings power. What, what kind of stars, did, how many stars did you get? I'm a five-star driver. Five-star driver? Point, yeah, five-star driver. I'm doing pretty well. How were your tips? I'm a wonderful conversation. How were your tips? Uh, you know, what's funny, um, the tips are pretty good, but I've gotten cash tips a couple of times. Uh-huh. And I kind of want to say I'm okay, but right. then if they want to tip me, why not? So you that's know, actually why okay, not take just it? news you can use. Yeah. Do you think is tipping in the United States expected? By the way, in Europe may be different. Japan, Europe like, is very different. Europe. So yeah, what is what is the expectation I on think, the tip? I think the standards in the U.S. I, there is no expectation, but drivers first of all love getting tipped, of and course. I would I would encourage all riders to tip. But the minority of riders in mobility tip, the majority of eaters in at eats tip. And it really depends on what you're comfortable with. If you get a great service, should you tip? Of course you should. Does the tip impact the number of stars you get? It does not. So the driver will rate you before he or she knows whether or not you tipped because we want to create a fair marketplace. And really, the rating is about you. It's not about how much you pay. And you can up your rating how? Let's talk about it. You can up your rating by being a good person, by being polite, and definitely not slamming the door. No, you said on time. Definitely Don't on time. Don't let the driver wait. That's, that's being a good person. Okay. Dark House was talking. Thank you. Appreciate Thank you. it. Guys, uh, Joe, how many stars you got? I have no idea. I don't have my own thing, uh, Andrew. I, I, I don't have my own. I have, I have four cars uh, at my house. So... Um, a big carbon footprint, I, I, I guess. I think I'd be, they'd like me. I'm very nice. We're very nice when we do, uh, all of us do get into the, the Uber. We talk and want to know where about them and everything. How about you? What do you, you tip? What's your tip? I don't have a application. Uh, so my kids 
do so and they tip. Tipping. Okay. Okay. So maybe I do probably, have a. Probably, I actually do have an application. I actually do have an application. Well, yeah, right? they, they they tip well because, because it's, it's like your money. It totally <laughs> inelastic. They have no idea where it goes. I don't even know if they think anyone actually pays it. it just kind of happens. Cheese will be next. Coming up, Semaphore's Ben Smith. We thought we were the future. On the wild world of change, disruption, and money in 21st century media. Probably, like, I think widely viewed as the dumbest media decision of the 2010s that we turned down an offer from Disney. Squawk Pod will be right back. You're listening to Squawk Pod with Joe, Becky, and Andrew. Here's Andrew. Hollywood writers are heading for the picket line. Thousands of unionized screenwriters are now on strike after contract negotiations with a trade association representing Hollywood's leading studios failed. As a result, production, some broadcast shows, streaming series and films start to grind to a halt. Viewers are going to find some live programs immediately impacted. Those include late night talk shows expected to go dark this week and Saturday Night Live could cancel this week's episode. Joining us right now, Ben Smith is the co-founder and editor-in-chief of Semaphore and the author of his first book launching today, Traffic Genius, Rivalry and Delusion in the Billion Dollar Race to Go Viral. We'll talk about that virality in just a second, but how big a deal is this? I mean, it is kind of amazing that they always do this, right? Like it's an industry, somebody was just saying to me, it's sort of like France, like it's just, they're, you know they're gonna go on strike and they go on strike and it is incredibly bitter and divisive and that's, that's how they do it. Always seven or eight times over a hundred years though. You think that's a lot or a little? It seems like a lot. Like a lot of contracts get renewed without this level of acrimony. But I think there's so many changes to the industry in particular right now. And the sort of rules of of this workplace are being rewritten around streaming, around the way a place like Netflix just buys all the rights to a show and there's no back end. And the writers, there's a lot of different places that they feel that there's advantage or disadvantage to be had. So when you look at and, and talk to people about the timing of how this could all come together or not, how long do you think it could be? You know, who knows? I, I don't know. What is your sense of this? There is a view that the big media companies are actually quite happy about this. That with the exception of, of you know, not having SNL, for example, or, or some of the late night shows, the idea of not having, if, if, if you sort of create a level playing field effectively where nobody can buy or make new stuff, that that's actually going to reduce costs. And if you could actually stretch that out for two or three months, potentially in an environment where you believe the economy and advertising is already challenged, that that's not such a bad thing. That is a, a, I don't know if it's a conspiracy theory, but it's a theory that has gone around Hollywood for at least the past couple of months. I mean, I think in across media, certainly everybody everybody is is expecting kind of an ad recession and, and holding very tight. On the other hand, right. incredibly competitive moment. And, I'm, and, and each trying to get ahead of the other. And I, you know, I mean, I, I, can't, I can't, I don't think really medium term these guys can afford it. Can we talk about virality and, and, and traffic? You wrote this book. You wrote this book, when did you start writing this book? Two years ago? In 2020, yeah. 2020, during the pandemic. During the pandemic. And we're now in this sort of moment where we have a lot of companies, media companies. I'm actually curious because this, this sort of started with your BuzzFeed life, right? Yeah. And we're now watching Vice Media, um, apparently on, on the brink of, of filing for bankruptcy. I mean, what do you think is happening here? And by the way, a lot of these companies were companies that the old traditional media companies thought were the future and everybody was chasing. I mean, I think, you know, we thought we were the future. And, and, and you know, the reason, I guess it was 2020 when I started the book and it did feel like this era was ending and I wanted to go back and 
kind of see where it started in the early 2000s in New York with all these all these characters who hated each other and hated old <laughs> media and wanted to blow it up. And I think one, you know, they made some bets. I mean, in some sense, the big bet was that these social media platforms were the equivalent of cable. And that when, like the, in the way that cable laid these new lines in the 80s and these new media companies and, right. you know, and channels, MTV, CNN, so, ESPN grew so, up what's on them. The, what's the lesson then? It, are the social media companies the new cable or not? Well, I mean, no, that, that I mean, was just wrong. By the way, that, goes to the, that, is, that is today's Tucker Carlson question, right? Which is to say, you know, Tucker leaves Fox, goes on, goes on Twitter, and some people look at that and say, look, there's, you know, tens of millions of people that are watching him on Twitter. Is that the future of media or not? I mean, I think not. I mean, I think it's pretty decisively not. That this was the big bet those companies made, that there would be a really healthy business in being distributed by these platforms as the platforms competed with each other, paid for higher and higher quality content the way the cables had. And I think they never did that. They relied on UGC. And they aren't going to stick around the way the cables are. You're seeing Twitter and Facebook user, user kind of User-generated content for those uh, at, yeah. at 6.20 in the morning did seeing they, UGC, right? Did the ad dollars never show up there? Was it the platforms not handing the over the The platforms monopolized them. And I think we're able to because they could get all this content for free, or at least, so they're not or at gonna, least thought they could. They're not going to buy the cow when they can get the milk for free, essentially? Right, yeah, that's right. what happened with it. Right, well, I know, and, and they're not, and they, I mean, I think with, what happened with cable was that they decided they needed to pay out a lot of money to, to cable operators to, or to channels to great, get great content and have a healthy ecosystem. Facebook, Twitter, Snap, basically decided they didn't have to do that. I'm not sure, I think the jury is kind of still out on whether well, that was a good call. Well, that was going to say, is that a mistake or not? I mean, I think if you look at the trajectory of those apps in the culture, which is down, that's, you know, maybe they, maybe they were always fads and it was never going to last forever. So, so you think social media might be a fad? I mean, I think obviously, the, if you think about the relevance of the blue Facebook app of Twitter today versus five years ago, they're headed down. And I think once those things start going down, Instagram, hard to all, go back So you up. think all those companies, Snap, is not as relevant. Yeah, I think, they're, I think they're less relevant. They're different. Snap has managed to be a messaging service that lots of people continue to use. Is there a media company you think will be more or less relevant? I mean, do you look at, I mean, now there's, now there's Netflix and there's, keep talking about Warner Discovery and Comcast, obviously, and Disney, ABC. I mean, how does it, I mean, it stack does, out to it you? It does seem like the folks who invested in really high quality, you know, entertainment, Netflix, Warner, I mean, they, you know, they have their problems, their stocks are down, but they're, not, they're not, but they're not going away. I mean, the problem with these social networks that are, you know, that you are there because you and your friends are there is when your friends leave, you, you can leave. And it's not Do you wish you guys totally sold BuzzFeed stable. to Disney? Do, I mean, I think it's, it is now, and I wrote about this in the book, probably like I think widely viewed as the dumbest <laughs> media decision of the 2010s that we turned down an offer from Disney. Um, you know, it, it's, it's like hard almost to put your head back in that space where we like felt the wind was totally at our back. We had just started building something new, and I think the job, in some sense, Disney wanted to hire us for was to modernize their digital presence, and it was for Jonah Peretti, the CEO, and, and for me, felt like, well, that's not what we signed up for. We were smoking pot when you guys we made were, the decision. You we, did, we did make, we did, we did uh, there you go. loosen up to make that decision a bit. <laughs> it's like Valter. All these great things. Legacy's worth something. Legacy's worth something. Ben, the new book is called Traffic. It's a great read. Thank you for coming in this Thank morning. Thank you, guys. I did Check like out the Semaphore, details. of course. It was really, really good details. It was like 
very You picked amazing. your favorite. It was <laughs> on air. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was rolling reading it. Amazing details. Was it like Tasty Bud, bro? You were rolling? Do you, do you remember? Reading it? Was it, no, uh, I was rolling it was, laughing. It was the days of prescription. One of my colleagues so that's, had a yeah. prescription card in awesome. California. Gnarly. Man. All right. That's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> A world we live in. People dress up as cats, uh, three at a time. It's bizarre. And that's Squawk Pod for today. Thanks for listening. Before we go, a programming note for you. This weekend is the Berkshire Hathaway Annual Meeting in Omaha, Nebraska. And Squawk Box will be there. Shareholders can submit questions for CEO Warren Buffett and Vice Chair Charlie Munger by emailing BerkshireQuestions at CNBC.com. Again, that email address for shareholders is BerkshireQuestions at CNBC.com. And on Saturday, May 6th, CNBC and CNBC.com are the only places where you'll be able to watch live coverage of the all-day event known as Woodstock for Capitalists. We'll have a special podcast series as well. Stay tuned to your feed for more details. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin, weekday mornings from 6 to 9 Eastern. Find the best of Squawk Box when you follow or subscribe to Squawk Pod. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. <laughs> <laughs>